Yeah. Well, thank you, Derek. Like you said, my name's Matt, and I do have to say, as much as I love middle school, much my love middle schoolers, uh, it's good to be with a little bit mature crowd in tonight. You guys are much more mature than middle schoolers, right? Right? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll find out, I guess. But it's good to be here with you guys tonight. If you guys have been here, you know we've been in this Home Run Life series, and this is a series our whole church is doing, right? This is a, a series that uh, across the whole board, across the whole church, we've been doing this Home Run Life series, and it's about, it's based around the book that our pastor, Pastor Kevin, wrote, okay? It's called Home Run Life, and, and you know, we've been using the, the picture of a diamond, a baseball diamond, to illustrate the four different areas of life that we need to win in order to have a home run kind of life, right? So like two weeks ago, we talked about home plate, which is the first base. This is the connect base, right? And this is where we learn how to connect with God, and just like in baseball, you can't move on to the other bases before you make contact and connect with the ball. The same way in the home run life, you can't move on to the other bases until you connect with God, right? And then we, we talked about sec, or first base last week, right? I know my numbers, I promise. All right, so we talked about first base, and that's the character base. This is where we learn how to win within ourselves. And Derek talked about, about how character is different than reputation, right? Because reputation is, is what other people think about you, while character is who you really are, and there might be a difference there. But in order to be people of character, or in order to be people that live a home run kind of life, we have to be people of character, right? So tonight, we're going to talk about base two, second base, which this is the community base. And this base is all about how do we win with people? How do we win with others, right? And some of you guys might be thinking, you might be, why, what do other people have to do with this? You know, because this is my home run life. What, why do I have to win with other people. But the truth is, and the truth that we see in scripture is that we weren't meant to live alone, right? If God intended for us to live alone, if he intended it for just to be us in our lives, he would just stopped with Adam, right? He wouldn't even created Eve. You guys wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. But in Genesis 2.18, we see God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve to be Adam's companion, and also due to other stuff, but we're not going to get into that tonight. We'll save that for a relationship series, okay? I'll let Derek teach you all about that. Right? So God, God said it was not good for man to be alone, and so he created other people so we could live in the context of community. And so here's the, the reality. The reality is that if we're going to live this home run kind of life, if we're going to be people who live successful, fulfilling, God-honoring kind of lives, then we've got to learn how to win with people. We've got to learn how to win here at second base. And before we jump into all this, guys, we're going we're gonna to talk about this tonight. But before we jump in, I want you guys to do something real quick, okay? I want you to think of your very favorite memory, some, like your best memory of all time, okay? So, so that one time that if you, could, if you could put a song to this memory, it'd be like, I'm the main, I'm the main, I'm the main. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So this is your, your best memory, your best all-time memory, your top 10, all right? So you got it? You got it? You got your memory? Guys, it's not this hard. Come on. No, it's not this hard. Okay, think of one of your best memories. You got something at least? Okay, shh. Listen up. Now let me ask you a question. In this memory, I hope you guys got one. Think about it. In this memory, are you alone or are other people there? Other people are there, right? Right? Yeah, maybe. I'll say in the vast majority of, of our best memories, other people are there, right? Because the best memories are those that are shared with other people. 
So how many of you guys, one of your favorite memories is like you, you scored a game-winning goal or a shot? Anybody ever do that before? Dang, there's, there's a bunch of you guys. Oh, snap, touchdown. Okay, that counts, that counts. That counts. Either you guys are like really good athletes or you're liars. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I've never, I've never done that. I've never scored a game-winning shot or goal or touchdown. Man, I only played football in fourth grade, and I couldn't even, I didn't weigh enough to tackle anybody. So that was done, you know? But I always wished, that was like a fantasy of mine when I was a kid, is to like score a game-winning shot in a basketball game, right? I grew up in Indiana. It's like basketball town, you know? And my, my hero was Reggie Miller. Anybody even know who Reggie Miller is? Come on, Uncle Reg. All right, so, so my mom literally has videos of me as a kid in my driveway like, like fulfilling my basketball fantasies. And I'll be like counting down three, two, crossover, one, buckets, game, oh, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> you know what I'm saying? Guys, you did this too. Let's be honest. We all did this. Come on. We all did this. Maybe not the girls, but that's okay. But listen, listen, listen. So I'll I would do this and it'd be crazy and I'd be imagining like millions of people saying my name and all this stuff and it'd be, it'd be awesome. But I was completely by myself. I probably look like an idiot. These, my neighbors thought I was challenged probably, you know? But that's how it was. And, and, but listen, compare, let's compare like a, a fake pretend three-point buzzer beater to something like this. Check this out. How sick is that, right? That's awesome. You know what makes that even cooler? That was my high school. That's where I graduated from. Come on, guys, give me some love. Hamilton Southeastern Royals, what's up? What's up? <laughs> you guys don't even know where that is. It's in Indiana. You don't even know where that is. But listen, that kid was a stud. His name is Gary Harris. He's playing at Michigan State right now, and he's about to go to the NBA. So that's my claim to fame, okay? That's my claim to fame. But anyway, so that's awesome. He could have made that shot. But listen, he could have made that shot completely by himself, and it wouldn't have meant anything. But because he made it in front of thousands of people, it was awesome. You see people, everyone just rush the court, tackle them. You didn't see that, but he was in the corner. They tackled him. It was awesome. And it's because he, he did it in front of a bunch of people. Because people make the good things, the good memories, even better. But now on the flip side of this, I want you guys to think of some of your worst memories. Think of some of your worst memories. Think Maybe it's a time of pain or embarrassment. A time when you got hurt by somebody. I'll bet even if you are alone in these memories, I'll bet that people were in some way involved, right? They either caused that or the lack of somebody. Maybe you got dumped by your girlfriend or boyfriend and your, your painful memory is the absence of that person. Because not only do people make the good things even better, they make the bad things hurt even worse. So one of my most vivid memories of my childhood was when I was in first grade, okay? So this is an embarrassing moment, whatever. So I was in first grade, and I was in my classroom, and I can remember we were all just in there, and for some reason, my teacher had to leave the room, okay? So her name was Miss Randall. She was kind of crazy. So she left. She left the room, and I remember for whatever reason, she shut the lights off when she left. I, probably not a great idea, right? You've got a classroom of first graders, and you shut the lights out? Come on, grow up. So she shuts the lights out. And so we're all, we're all in the room, and then it kind of just hits me like that. I got to pee. Like, I got to pee bad. It just, you know when it hits you like when you're a kid, you don't have any control of your bladder. It's like this big, and then it's like, ugh. 
you know? So I had to pee really bad. And we had one of those classrooms that had the bathroom attached to it. You know, anybody have one of those? In like first grade, you know what I'm saying? So, so I run to the bathroom in, this, in, the, in the classroom. And I, I go in there and I, sh- I turn on the lights. I shut the door. And uh, if you're never like a six-year-old boy, you probably don't, we don't like to mess with pants when we, you know, go to the bathroom. And so we just kind of like drop trial and then go, you know what I'm saying? So I'm standing there, pants around my ankles, when all of a sudden this door that I thought I had closed slowly starts to creak open <laughs> until it's fully open and I'm standing there on full display for my whole class to see. And I've already started, you know, I can't stop. I don't have that kind of control at six years old. Okay, so I'm going, and all I have to do is just stand there and finish my business while my whole class is just laughing hysterically at me. It was humiliating, guys. This was traumatizing. I was six years old. This was horrible. And here's the deal. This wouldn't have been a big deal if I was by myself, right? That would have been like every other day when at my house. My mom was always telling me to close the door, you know? But because it happened in front of my entire class... It was like a traumatic experience for me as a little kid. And I still remember this, like vividly. It's one of my most vivid memories of my childhood. Because not only do, the, do people make the good things feel even better, they also make the bad, painful, embarrassing things even worse. Now, there's a story that I love. It's a, it's a book called Into the Wild, and they actually made it into a movie. Some of you guys might have seen this movie. It's rated R. Don't see it. It's bad. But it's actually really cool. It's, about, it's a true story. It's a true, true story about this guy named Chris McCandless. And Chris was a, he was a 20-something, fresh out of college, punk kid, really. And he, uh, he reached this point in his life where he just got so fed up with people. He got so sick with, of society and his parents and the people in his life that he decided that he's going to sell everything he owns He's going to burn all his money, all his IDs, and he's going to hitchhike his way all the way out to Alaska. And his goal is, I'm going to go to Alaska, and I'm going to live there in the wild, completely alone, away from people, and it's going to be awesome. Because he thought that people were holding him back from living a good life, from living a fulfilling and successful and happy life. And so he goes, and he makes it all the way out to Alaska. And for a while, everything's great. He's living completely alone in the wild, and it's, it's the mountains and the wildlife and everything, and he loves it. It's intoxicating to him. But then after a while, that joy starts to fade away, and he starts to feel this emptiness, and he can't, he can't figure it out. He can't put his finger on what's going wrong. I mean, he thinks he's got everything he wants, but it's not fulfilling. And then to make matters, spoiler alert, okay, sorry, to make matters worse, he accidentally eats a poisonous plant and it causes his body to literally start like eating itself away. And so he's there, he's out in the wild, he's completely alone. Nobody knows where he's at. And he's, he's literally on his deathbed, he's starving to death. And he comes to this like epiphany moment. And there's a clip from this, from this movie that captures this moment I wanna show it to you guys, so check this out. Did you guys, did you guys catch what he wrote down? He, saw, he said, happiness is only real when shared. Oh, it's like a downer. It's horrible. It's depressing. All his life, he had, been, he had been pushing people away because he thought they were preventing him from living the successful, fulfilling, home run kind of life that he wanted to live. But it was at the end of his life that he finally realized that, 
that living that kind of life wasn't about trying to remove people and figuring out how to remove people from the equation, but it was about learning how to win with people. And he just realized it too late. And so how do we win with people? How do we win here at second base? Because it's important, because God designed for us to live in community, like we already talked about. And we can't live this kind of life free from people. It doesn't work. He tried. It doesn't work. It's not fulfilling. That's not how God designed it. So how do we win at second base? Throughout this series, we've been, we've been looking at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament as kind of a model, an example of someone who won at each of, each of the four bases. And we're going to land there again tonight. So if you would, grab a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 37. It's on page 39 of the Worship Center Bibles. And as you're turning there, I know you guys have, have talked about Joseph already in this series, but let me give you a brief overview of his story so you can, we can all be on the same page. So Joseph was the son of, of Jacob, who's one of the patriarchs. And, and at this point in the story, Joseph is the youngest of 11 brothers. So he's got 10 older brothers. Joseph is the youngest, and he's the favorite. Isn't that how it always is, right? In families, the youngest is the baby. They're the favorite. They get all the love and the presents at Christmas and everything. You know, how many of you guys are the youngest in your family? Are you guys the favorites? Oh, let's be real. You're the favorites. They love you more. Just admit it. Come on. My little sister's the baby, and she's 100% the favorite. They love her more than me. <laughs> oh, I know. But that's how it is, guys. So that's, that's Joseph. He was the baby. He was the favorite. He was daddy's boy. And his dad gave him this sweet, like, multicolored coat that apparently was awesome back then. I think, I think it looked pretty stupid if one of you guys were wearing that. Just saying. But so his, he was daddy's boy. Dad loves him, loved him more than all the others. And his brothers hated him for this. They hated him. So much so that they decided they're going to make a plot to kill Jacob. Joseph, not Jacob. They're going to kill Joseph. And so that's where we're going to pick up in this story, starting at the second half of verse 17. Genesis 37, page 39. Follow along with me. There it is. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Flip the page. Verse 22, 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they threw him in, took him and threw him into one of the cisterns. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat the meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming up from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, the, the, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him on to Egypt. Talk about a bad day. Here's Joseph. He's just going to, to kick it with his brothers. And next thing he knows, he's thrown into a cistern, into a pit, and then sold to slave traders. I mean, let's be honest. We've all thought about selling our, our younger siblings, right? We've all thought about it. These guys actually go through with it. And then they try to cover it up like he got eaten by an animal to, to cover it up for his dad. 
It's safe to say, guys, at, at this point in Joseph's story, he is officially losing with people, right? This dude just tripped straight over second base and got a face full of slavery, all right? He is losing with people. He is losing with people. But if you read the rest of Joseph's story, if you read the rest of Genesis 37 through 39 and 40, you'll see that over time, over a period of, of crazy events and circumstances, he goes in Egypt, he goes from being a common slave and in prison all the way up to being second in command in all of Egypt. He is second only to Pharaoh. Clearly, over this period of time, over this period of years, Joseph learned how to win with people. And not only that, he's also moved on from second base to third base, which we're going to talk about next week, which is the competency base. He's, he's learning how to win results. I mean, this guy, he's second in command in all of Egypt. He's successful. He's living a successful, fulfilling kind of life, a home run life. But then there's this crazy plot twist in the story. And we see that Joseph's brothers, who had years before sold him into slavery, they come to Egypt during a drought in order to buy food. They were starving. They needed food, so they came to Egypt to buy some. And Joseph, when he sees them, he immediately recognizes them as his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph has a decision to make. Would he, would he give in to his feelings of anger and, and bitterness and retribution and, and seek revenge and to punish his brothers for what they had done to him? Or would he humble himself and forgive them? Would he continue running the bases of the home run life or would he make a compromise here at second base and potentially throw their, his whole life off course? If you guys know this story, you know that Joseph makes the right choice and he chooses to forgive his brothers and to restore their relationship. And by doing this, he shows us how to win at second base, how we can win with people. And so there are three keys to winning at second base. And this is, this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, guys. Three keys to winning at second base. And if you're, if you're following on the, on the notes, these are the blanks here. And I want you guys to be following along because while these things might sound simple, if we learn how to put these into practice, we're going to set ourselves up to win at second base. We're going to set ourselves up to win with people. And so three keys to winning at second base. The first key is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humility is tricky, guys. I think a lot of times we mistake humility with self-degradation or, or putting ourselves down, making ourselves less. But guys, that's not what, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not, that's not what true humility is. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis that I love that shows what, what humility is, and it's this. He says that true humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. You guys catch that? It's not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less, less often. In other words, humility is not putting yourself down, but it's lifting others up. In Philippians 2.4, the Bible tells us that we should not look to our own interests, but we should look to the interests of others. That we should not have our eyes folks fixed upon ourselves and our own, our own wants and our own needs, but we should fix our eyes upon others and their wants and their needs and think about others before we think about ourselves. And guys, I know, this takes practice. I know. I know it does. But don't overthink this. Start small. Right? So don't be the first guy to, to voice your opinion all the time. 
Don't be the guy that takes the last cookie all the time, you idiot. Let somebody else take the cookie. Don't be the one to call shotgun all the time. Take back seat middle. That's the best seat. That's the new best seat. I'm calling it right now. Next time you guys are out, just somebody call backseat middle. Start it. It's a thing. It's officially a thing. I'm starting it. But guys, start small. And, and though th- these, things might sound, sh- these things might sound like simple, like trivial things. The reality is that if over time, if we, if we continue to make these decisions, and if we continue to think about ourselves less often and others more, this is going to develop into habits. And we're going to have the habit of humility. And so that's the first key to winning at, at second base. Humble yourself. The second key is to forgive what you can't forget. Forgive what you can't forget. Here's the truth. Across this room, a lot of you guys have been hurt by people. Maybe somebody lied to you or spread a rumor about you or said something nasty about you or went behind your back. Or maybe someone did something to you a long time ago and you can't shake it. And, and that pain has turned into anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And you know, there's no, there's no way, there's not a chance you're going to forget what was done to you. The truth is that God, God never sets the, sets the expectation for us to forget. He doesn't do it. God doesn't expect us to forget, but he does expect us to forgive. He does expect us to forgive. And forgiveness, it's not easy. I know, guys, trust me, I know. It's not easy. It takes time. It's not even so much about a choice as it is a lifestyle. But that's what we're called to. And I know that if we're going to live the kind of successful, fulfilling, God-honoring, home-run kind of life that I know we're called to live, we're going to have to learn to forgive what we can't forget. Surrender your right to be angry. Oh, I wish somebody had told me that a long time ago, guys. Surrender your right to be angry. The world, will, the world will tell you that when somebody does something wrong to you, you have a right to make it right. You know what I'm saying? You have a right to seek revenge and to be angry and to get back at them. But that's not what the Bible teaches. What does Jesus say? If someone strikes you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Forgive. Forgive. You don't have a right to be angry in God's kingdom. You don't have a right to revenge in God's kingdom. It's not fair. But it's how he calls us to live. So forgive what you can't forget. The third key to winning at second base is to ask God to increase your love. Ask God to increase your love. Sometimes people can be really hard to love, especially when they suck, you know? You know, how many of you guys know people in your life who are just really hard to love? How many of you guys are sitting next to that person right now? Don't raise your hand. I'm kidding. Stop it. Bad. Stop it. We're going to have some fights breaking down the parking lot. (laughs) But here's the deal. Listen up. Listen up. Sometimes people can be hard to love, can't they? It's like, it's like they know exactly how to get under your skin and every single time you're around them, you're just fighting the urge just to punch them straight in the throat. Uh, yeah, me either. That's, 
not me. I don't do that. <laughs> but seriously, people can be hard to love. People will hurt you. They will go behind your back. They will lie to you, whatever. They can be hard to love. But here's, here's the good news. If you, have, if you have those people in your life and you have people that are hard to love, here's the good news for you. You don't have the ability to love those people. Some of you guys are like, nice, off the hook. No, no, you're not off the hook. Because here's the deal. You don't, you don't have the ability to love those people, but God does. God does. In 1 John 4, 7, it says that, dear brothers, let us love one another for love comes from God. Love comes from God. And so here's, here's what this means, that when we have those kind of people in our lives who are especially hard to love, and we don't, it's, it's impossible. We don't think it's, it's possible for us to love them. We can't just say, sorry, bro, I don't have the ability to love you. Throat punch. No, we can't do that. <laughs> We've got to ask God to give us love for them. It's our responsibility, it's our obligation as followers of Christ to ask God to give us love for the people in our lives that are unlovable. And he will. And it'll be weird. And you're not gonna like it. But he will give you the ability to love those kind of people in your life. And you're supposed to. That's what we're called to. You're supposed to love those people. And so what is God telling you? Where are you losing here at second base? Which of these three keys are you not winning at? Maybe you need to humble yourself. You need to start thinking of yourself less and of others more. Or maybe you need to forgive what you can't forget. You need to surrender your right to be angry, to let it all go and forgive someone. Or maybe you simply just need to ask God to give you the ability, the capacity to love those people in your life. Whatever the case, wherever you're at, I want us to do some business with God in here tonight. And guys, in a minute, when you go to your connection groups, I want us to be, let's be vulnerable enough to admit where we're falling short and where we're not winning here at second base, where we're not winning with people. And let's talk about what we need to start doing in order to win at second base starting tonight. Because here's what I know. If we're gonna live the kind of successful, fulfilling, God-honoring, home-run kind of life that I know we are called to live, we've gotta win here at second base. Before we can go move on, we've gotta win here. You can't just skip over this base. You can't skip over people. It doesn't work. God has placed people in your life for a reason. And yes, relationships are risky. And yes, you will get hurt. And yes, people will take advantage of you. And yes, you're gonna have to learn how to forgive people. But that's what we're called to. We are called to live in community. And so let's learn how to do it. And you guys have community right here in your connection groups. That's a community. In your life groups, that's community. So let's, let's walk through this journey together and let's talk about how we need to win with others. And so as I pray to close this out, I want you to be praying with me and I want you to be asking God to help you where you are losing here at second base and to give you what you need in order to start winning. And so across this room, let's pray. Father God, I thank you 
First of all, God, I thank you that you love us. You loved us first. And that, God, although it's hard for us to love other people, we know that, this, that love comes from you. And so, God, wherever, and students across this room, myself included, God, wherever we are falling short and we are losing here at second base, would you give us the ability to win? God, if we need to humble ourselves and think about ourselves less and others more, would you, would you spring that up inside of us? God, if we need to forgive someone in our life, if we need to let go and surrender our right to be angry, whatever right we think we have to be angry and to seek revenge and to do all that, God, would you, would you cast all that away in Jesus' name and would you allow us to forgive those people in our lives who have hurt us? And Jesus, for the people in our lives who are unlovable, who are impossible to love, Would you give us the ability and the capacity to love them in Jesus' name? Because, God, we want to live the kind of home run life that you have called us to. We know that you have called us to this. And anything short is falling short of what you have called us to. So, God, would you be with us? And would would you cause this kind of life to rise up in the student ministry? And would they be the catalyst of change in their families, in their schools, in their communities. God, we love you so much, and it's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray. And everyone said, amen.